today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Through the history of Israel, we hardly ever see them living up to their potential. The closest we come is during the reign of King David, the glory days of David, and perhaps even the glory days of Solomon. But Solomon, the wisest man in the world, did not make the wisest decisions, did he? And so from that, the kingdom started falling apart. And yet God had a plan for Israel. God had a plan to work and move through Israel. He still looks at them as his beloved. God's not finished with Israel. Do you ever read through the Bible and wonder how people had such great faith? Maybe you're one who reads through and wonders how people could have such little faith. No matter which side of the fence you're on, Pastor David reminds us that all are used. The Lord can make the best of anyone's efforts. Whether they're great titans of faith or have floundered under pressure. There is hope even for those of us who are weary and lacking. Thank God for his faithfulness towards us. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 12 with today's edition of The Open Word. Revelation chapter 12 is where we're at tonight. Revelation chapter 12. And we're coming to chapter 12, and it really is setting the stage in preparation for that last half of the seven years of tribulation period, for that last three and a half years. We're going to see again in chapter 12 and in chapter 13 some of the principles that we're going to see during this time, some of the main individuals that are going to be actively involved in what God is working and doing, what the enemy is involved in and coming against the work of God, all of this setting the stage for that final return of Jesus Christ for his final victory, his judgment over all of creation. So as we look over these last few chapters, some really, well, dark things, some uh, disastrous things, some real turmoil, some real tribulation, again, as a portion of the wrath of God is being poured out. We're going to be looking at, unfortunately, even some harder, uh, harsher things when we look in these last three and a half years. And again, when I see the Word of God says that we as believers are not appointed for wrath, and I see this time being a time where the wrath of God is being poured out and so much of humanity is suffering because of the wrath of God, it makes me believe even stronger that the Lord calls his church out of here through what's called the rapture prior to this tribulation period. I know that there's a lot of views on that. I understand a lot of views. And if you don't have the view that the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation period, that's okay. I believe that you're probably still saved, that you probably will go to heaven 
but I'm going to get there before you because I believe in the rapture, okay? We'll wait for the rest of you. No. Well, it's at this point, well, actually throughout Revelation, but it gets even more so now as we get into chapter 12, and there's going to be some particular things that are being laid out that at this point that I really agree with a fellow by the name of Bob Utley. Uh, Bob Utley, in reference to the interpretation of prophetic literature, he writes, we need to be careful of pushing the details. Apocalyptic literature is true theology presented in an imaginative framework. It's true, but it's symbolically presented. So I believe that what he means by that, what I mean when I say that I agree with him on that, is that there are some things that we will see in the book of Revelation that, in the, I'd say the overall sense of it, it is showing forth, it's proclaiming what's going to happen. But we also need to be careful not to detail those things to death and we miss the main point. Does that make sense to you? Because I know that there are a lot of times, and I've heard and I've read a lot of different prophecy teachers, and they almost detail it to death. And you think, well, okay, that might be, that might not be. Well, our study in this, if you haven't caught on yet, I'm usually pretty general in my interpretation on this because the interpretation that would be given in the 1960s might be a little bit different than the interpretation given in the 1980s, which would be a little bit different given in the year 2000, which is possibly going to be different should the Lord tarry the interpretation of some of these things by the year 1220, you know, in another six years, just simply because technology changes the world changes. There's some things that we can nail down, say, absolutely, this, this is an unchangeable reality. But there are some interpretations of those things that we need to be careful of. Okay? Fair enough? Okay. So let's look into it. Chapter 12, in verse 1. John writes, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Let's stop right there and let's look at that for a moment. John begins this whole thing by declaring that he's watching as a great sign appears in heaven. From this point on, he's going to be speaking of several signs particular signs that he's going to draw our attention to. But here in my New King James Version, I read a great sign. And it's the direct translation of two Greek words, uh, Simeon Mega. Simeon Mega. Now, Mega or Mega, we're pretty familiar with. Here in the United States, we look for everything Mega. I mean, we want Mega screens. We want Mega savings. We want mega burgers. You know, if big is good, then mega must be even better. And thus we have mega debt and mega distractions and mega waistlines, okay? We know that the word mega, the understanding of it is huge, large, mighty, exceedingly great. So all of those working in together with that word. But the word simeon, probably new to us. It's the basic understanding of the word is that it's something that is supernatural, something that is miraculous, something that's totally out of the ordinary, something that's 
wondrous. So here you have this mega supernatural event that's taking place. This huge sign, he says. Not only the item or the event itself, but the very nature of the event is just absolutely astounding, supernatural. It would be something totally out of the normal run of things, both not only from where it came from and what it does, either as an individual or as an event. And that's what John is trying to get our attention here. Now, we're going to see some other signs, as I said, other simeons later on as we continue through Revelation. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, we're going to see a alo simeon, another sign. It's not described as a great sign. He just says it's another sign. But first, let's look at this Simeon Mega. John tells us that it's a woman that's clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet, and on her head is this garland of 12 stars. Some think, well, that is a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, but I believe that that's totally wrong. I don't believe that it can be because this one here is giving birth, actually, to Christ. And, beloved, the church didn't birth Christ. Christ birthed the church. We want to make sure that we understand that. We look at this. This woman, greatly adorned, clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet. In this vision, I believe that he's speaking of Israel herself. Israel is described in the Old Testament as the wife, the bride, my beloved, those kinds of things that God describes Israel as. And so here she comes, and in this vision, as soon as I read it, I was reminded actually of Joseph's vision back in Genesis chapter 37. Remember Joseph's dream that he had, and he was so proud of his dream, he goes out and tells his brothers, hey, look, I had another dream. Well, this is the second dream that he had. He says, I had this other dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And he's talking about my mom, my dad, and you 11 brothers, you're going to bow down to me. You remember how well that went with Joseph. You think the guy needs a little discernment in the uh, proclamation of these visions that he has. So here I look at this and I see through all of this, I, I see Israel clothed with the sun, just again, adorned with majesty and brilliance and beauty. The moon at her feet, just speaking of of authority and power that God, I believe, intended for Israel to have. The sad thing is, is Israel didn't live up to that. As a matter of fact, all through the history of Israel, we hardly ever see them living up to their potential. The closest we come is during the reign of King David. The glory days of David and perhaps even the glory days of Solomon, but Solomon, the wisest man in the world, did not make the wisest decisions, did he? And so from that, the kingdom started falling apart. And yet God had a plan for Israel. God had a plan to work and move through Israel. He still looks at them as his beloved. God's not finished with Israel. If you believe that God's finished with Israel, go back and read, I believe it's Romans chapter 9. Are they cast out forever? Paul says, no, they're not. But it's for a time for the Gentiles to come in. So when I look at this picture, I see here is Israel. The garland of the 12 stars being the 12 tribes. And then here she is, she is with child. 
Undoubtedly, you know, the child is ready to come. She cries out in labor, pain to give birth. Now, there's another woman in the book of Revelation we're going to look at, totally opposite from this one. Flip over, if you would, to chapter 17. We're not going to go deep into it, but just to give you kind of, again, the little thought and the understanding. The woman in 12 is directly opposite of the other woman. This other woman of chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, John writes that I was carried away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Totally opposite thought and idea. It says, on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, we'll look at that one later when we get to that chapter. But for now, let's go back to uh, chapter 12. Here, this woman, she wears the sun as a garment, the moon's below or under her feet. A lot of those that commented on the passage, we get a variety of thoughts on who the woman is, what the sun, what the moon represents. But again, I believe myself it's Israel because the child that she gives birth to, the dragon soon seeks to destroy we get on into this in verse 2 says she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth and here we're kind of seeing the backstory of some of the events that will come to pass these are the things that actually did already take place you know what a backstory is that before you move forward in the story they got to kind of explain those that are in the story the the events that have happened the characters that happened well this isn't a story these are real events but john here is talking about giving birth to this one and the dragon that's going to try and destroy him the christ child was born through israel and israel suffered many birth pangs in trying to bring forth Messiah. Here in verse 3, we're introduced to this other sign. This other sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the description we're given is quite involved. He's fiery. He's red. He's a dragon. He's got seven heads. He's got ten horns. He's got seven crowns on his head. The fiery red speaks of, I believe, a pain and death associated with this creature. The fact that he's described as a dragon, again, brings into play the thought of wickedness and the power of evil and power of wickedness. The dragon has seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on his head. Again, this is a vision that's very similar to Daniel's great end-time vision that's found back in Daniel 7. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read to you a few verses from that, but it's in Daniel 7. Daniel says, After this I saw the night visions, and behold... A fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, and it had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. 
It was different from all of the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and then there was another horn, a little one coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. And he drops down in verse 24, it says, the ten horns are ten kings. I love it when the Bible interprets itself. It keeps us from really messing things up, you know. So Daniel says, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. And he's going to be different from the first ones. And he'll subdue three kings, and he will speak pompous words against the Most High, and shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Times and law, changing law. I think this whole situation of Sharia law that's going around, but just file that for a little bit later. And he shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time for three and a half years. Now, all of these descriptions here that Daniel gives, they they deal with this idea, I believe, of this very same dragon that's going to have power over the kingdoms and the empires of the world during this time. He's going to have the power to control them. He's going to have the power to lead them to fulfill his plans and his purposes as we move further and deeper in to this great tribulation time. We don't need to guess who the dragon is. And again, the Bible gives us the interpretation. Back in Revelation chapter 12, down in verse 9, we find out who the dragon is. In verse 9, we read, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So the dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan, all in the one same. He's the one who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So we'll look at that in a moment when we get there, but just want to let you know that's who the dragon is. So we know who the enemy is, who the enemy was, and who the enemy really always will be until he is finally destroyed and put into the abyss forever. He's the one that controls the hearts and the minds of evil men and those who desire to be their own authority. It's interesting. It's easy to look and say that Satan controls the hearts of evil men. You can look and you can see some of the wickedness that goes on in the world and say, man, Satan has them. But you know what? Satan has the heart and mind of any man or any woman who is not Christ's. And he blinds them. He keeps them from coming to the truth. So even, you know, our dear Aunt Gladys, so sweet of a gal, if she does not know the Savior, her mind and her heart is still controlled by Satan, the devil, the serpent, the dragon. It's hard for us to see that, but folks, theologically and biblically, that's the absolute truth. There can be no other way. You're either of Christ or you're not. And if you're not of Christ, then you are of the evil one. Oh, no, I'm the captain of my own ship. He has deceived you into thinking that you are the captain of your own ship. He controls you. 
So anyway, the deceiver will continue to deceive with his might, with his power, with his false signs, with the wonders, with his promises of fame and glory, and yet all of that is going to lead into destruction. For many, the seven heads, they represent Rome. Rome, the city that was built on seven hills. I've heard for years and years that the Catholic Church is part of this end-time scenario. I'm not claiming either way on that. As a matter of fact, here recently, within the last couple of years, I'm looking a whole lot more at Islam as being the one. And again, they also looked at the revived Roman Empire, the Ten Horns being a culmination of the European Union with ten different nations involved. And that worked okay until now there's 28 countries that are involved. And so it doesn't quite fit the scenario anymore. But yet I could very easily probably count nations or people groups that Islam is controlling and taking over. And man, we look at the signs of the times when we're in right now. And that's why I'm saying we need to be careful on interpretations because things change through the years. Hitler was the Antichrist. John F. Kennedy was the Antichrist. I mean, he got a head wound there. Man, I was with people that said John F. Kennedy's going to rise back up from the dead. Watch out. We know, you know, because that's what the Bible says. You know, again, people look at different things, different ways at different times. So as we look at this, we understand that in all of this, this represents power It represents authority. It represents kingdoms or people groups of the world. It represents, again, just the power that this dragon has over the people of the world. We're also going to see in chapter 13, in verse 1, that this beast that's going to come up next has a lot of similarities with this dragon. He's not the dragon, but he's got a lot of similarities. Verse 1 says, I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its horns ten diadems, or crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So again, we get this beast that's coming. He's not the dragon, but we're going to find out that he's subservient to the dragon. We'll get into that later as we get into chapter 13. Back to chapter 12. I keep shooting you out and drawing you back in. Come back in. Back in 12, verse 4, we read more about this dragon and the powers of his persuasion. Verse 4 says that his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. For some, this description of his tail sweeping a third of the stars from heaven relates to the statement John makes later in verse 9 in reference to Satan and the falling angels that he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Here in verse 4, we continue that this dragon stood before the woman ready to give birth to devour the child as soon as it was born. Satan has desired to destroy the plan of God's Messiah from the very beginning, all the way back in the garden. We look all the way back in history, and Satan has done everything that he can to bring in destruction, to bring in a thwarting, if you would, of God's plan and purpose. From the time of creation, as Satan deceived Eve in that effort to spoil that plan, and yet God prevailed. Thanks for spending your time with us today on The Open Word. 
If you were encouraged by this time together, learning more about Jesus and want to hear more, we'd invite you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, where you can get notified of the latest message as soon as it's available, or find archive messages you may have missed. You can even find these teachings online at theopenword.com. There you can learn all about The Open Word and the ministry we're blessed to be a part of. In fact, Pastor David has a special message for you about how you too can be involved in sharing the good news through The Open Word. There really is something deeply refreshing about being a part of God's kingdom. Not only do I get to learn more about Him every time I open the Bible, but He's given me the great privilege of sharing His love with you. This radio ministry and others like it, they're a wonderful and powerful way that God is reaching people across the nation and well, across the world with the gospel. We're blessed to be a part of it. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. Would you prayerfully consider being a part of our financial support here at The Open Word? If you feel led to give, visit theopenword.com and click on the support option. That'll bring you to our secure giving page. Your gift will help us to continue to grow and spread the word of God. Thank you for bringing this matter before the Lord. Thanks, Pastor David. As our time with you draws to a close, know that we continue to pray for you and for more and more people to come to know Jesus through this ministry. Join us next time to continue studying Revelation right here on The Open Word.